Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. You have heartburn? Yeah. What did you eat that gave you heartburn? Stress. Stress is the source of my heartburn. I think it is. I really think it's all the the vitamins I'm taking. I'm not kidding you. I actually believe that they get stuck. And I'm a little bit worried that, you know what happens when pills get stuck in your esophagus, right? No, I don't. Tell me. They burn your esophagus, your esophageal lining. And yeah, I need to drink a lot of water. Hold on. Do you think that there's any chance that your conscious thoughts as the captain are signaling to your unconscious <laughs> thoughts to uh, have a reaction? <laughs> are you manifesting esophageal cloggage? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But since that anxiety thing, there's something with my body that I, I'm very perceptive, Dave. I'm you very are, perceptive. Here's the thing. You're very perceptive. <laughs> and also, you just got I am a, a hypochondriac. You're a hypochondriac. You just got a brain scan <laughs> because you were sure that you had a tumor yeah. and it's not a tumor. Well, and I didn't think I had a tumor. I thought I just wanted to check to make sure my blood vessels were okay. That's it. Because I was having migraines and seeing spots, you know, it's like when you have a wake up call, like a panic attack that lands you in the hospital, the reality is every single part of you starts to go, man, I've been putting off all of my checks. Like I am so busy in my life and I have been for 15 years, right. To where when something feels off, I have never, never been the kind of person to go to the doctor. I'm like, I'm fine. I'll get over it. And a panic attack had me in a moment for the first time in my life, feeling like those were my last minutes, like looking at you. I remember being like, I'm never going to see my kids again. Like, yeah. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy that it's Dave, but also what's he going to tell my kids? How is it, how is this going to like go to my, like, are the, is he going to tell them that I love, like all these thoughts, like the people I realized in that moment that I wish, gosh, this is like such a. Well, just, I mean, for we're not going to talk about this, but we're not going to talk about this. I mean, we can talk about it. No, I, I was just saying we weren't going to, and suddenly it's here, but like, I, yeah, it like really quickly, you, when you feel like you're dying, it becomes super clear what the most important thing is to you. Yeah. And it, and they're my kids and I love you, but my kids are, they're like an extension of me, you know? As and I really be. was at that moment. Oh no, as it should be. I mean, I will say as like a witness, so this is like end of July, very end of July, Heidi had a panic attack. First panic attack she's ever had. I have never, ever seen anything like what mm -hmm. I saw in you experiencing what you did because the terror in your eyes, the like sureness that you had that you were actually dying, I like I would I could never have imagined that it was going to be the way that it was for you and the urgency with which you were hoping I might get help and everything else. Like it was scary. It was super, super scary. I've never tried to be so calm in such a high pressure situation in my entire life. But the idea that like your brain is powerful enough to convince you that you are dying in that moment is mind boggling on some level because you're such a high performer. You're such a like handles stress well-ish person. And in that situation, there was no like normal thinking. It was all survival thinking. I, I think what's more fascinating is not that it can, my brain convinced me that I was dying because that was easy, right? Like to feel what I was feeling for anyone who's done it, to actually physiologically feel the things that I feel. When you feel that you're going to think you're dying. Like I've had more people reach out to me knowing what I felt. And I've been through a lot. I freaking pushed babies out of my lady parts with no epidural. And I didn't think I was dying. The pain of that, I like kidney stones, didn't think I was dying. All of these things did not think I was dying, but it was, it wasn't even the pain. It was the, the symptoms, the uncontrollability of the symptoms, right? So the most power, like fascinating thing to me is that because I thought I was dying. So it wasn't my body had me think I was dying because I thought I was dying, I manifested actual panic. I manifested symptoms that further solidified and ingrained that I was dying. And then yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. And then it like, it made the breathing more uncontrollable. It made that like, I, it was it insane. Was, it was wild. The, the paramedics ended up coming into the room and they quickly put you on a, like a blood pressure cuff and a heart monitor. And, you know, there was five of them and thing on your finger. Yeah. And the, the initial responder, cause he ends up saying later on that, man, we actually respond to quite a few panic attacks. People think that they're dying. It turns out they're having a panic attack and trying to just like reassure you, you're okay. You're having a panic attack in the hope that like, maybe you can control your breathing or convince your brain that this is all that this is. I actually ended up going through the room and I asked each of them, hey, you're a professional, you work as a paramedic. What do you believe that she is suffering from? And, I, and each of them said, I believe she's having a panic attack. I believe she's having a panic attack. And it, it didn't really change the way that your symptoms were 
presenting because it took another two and a half hours of you breathing and being like reassured that you were going to be okay for you to get to okay. And then the next round of the panic attack came back the next morning and we found ourselves in the hospital. But it's, it's, I mean, it's just still such a wild thing that you, you, when you, when you have something like that happen that you've never experienced before, you're in such an uncharted part of the world that you have no sense of how to handle it or what the hell's going on. No. And I remember you going around the room and asking, right. And having the people say the thing, <clears throat> but because I was still fighting fade to black, like honestly, like still struggling to not pass out. And I thought, oh, I, this is me dying. Like I didn't have, I didn't know the difference between passing out and, oh, this is the end of it for me. They don't know. I'm like seeing the light, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But the, like I, and, and having like feeling I guess, manifesting symptoms in my body that actually felt like heart palpitations and uh, uncontrollable breathing. I still, no matter how much I was deep breathing, I could not get out of it. I, in my mind was like, they're saying this, but they haven't taken the time to see anything, if anything's underlying. Right. And so they left the room and I was like, yeah, this is what most people look like with a panic attack, but there's still something happening with me. So you went to sleep. I didn't sleep at all. And I've done a lot of research since. And one of the worst things you can do when after a panic attack is not sleep because your body, your brain needs a reset more than ever. Then I released so much adrenaline in that moment. And my body was actually my entire nervous system, my spine. I could feel it just shaking all yeah. night. And which is why as soon as you woke up and the shades were cracked, I immediately went back into a panic attack yeah. like when, as I was actually telling you, I don't think I'm okay. And yeah. then that was like, well, yeah. when, of it, yeah. when you were convinced that, that you weren't okay or that they'd misdiagnosed or they couldn't have possibly understood how serious it was because you're feeling things that they couldn't possibly understand. We head to the, we head to the hospital and God bless the people in the hospital because I've never been through an emergency room faster that like they, they could see how serious a state you were in and they immediately got you on the EKG, which was genius because you were certain, you were so certain that you were having a heart attack. And it was like the doctor came in, he had a Marvel bandana on, bless his heart. And uh, he shook my hand and he said, uh, good news. This is one of the strongest hearts in the entire state. And I was like, yes, <laughs> this is good. Please say that again to the woman in the chair. And uh, Actually, but at this point, they had already given me Ativan, right? Which is a new thing for had they given me this yet? They had, the given, they had not given you the medicine yet. We had okay. just walked okay. in. The first thing they did was to, to, to do the EKG. The second thing they did the blood pressure, they took the temperature that, you know, but every single thing, unbelievably, but thankfully, was perfection. Like this guy was like, she is in elite health. And I was like, <laughs> Sir, could you please write that on the chalkboard over here, please? Like, this, like, let's keep on telling her that she is good. Then you got the Ativan, and the Ativan. Because I was still not calm, and you know what it was. They then started saying, "Can I just recount some of this? Do you are you okay with it?" Recount away. They had said, "What do you do for a living?" Remember that? Like, oh, I was yeah. starting to calm down. They said, "What do you do for a living?" And then I started going into another panic attack in the middle of the hospital. And 
like it, that was such an indicator for me that what I do, like I posted about not too long ago, like something that I believe in it. I know it's my calling, right? And I'm diving into this thing that I love so much, but I realized I have dove in so much and so hard in a way that has me disconnected from what's good for me, what serves me and what serves my people. And yeah. I didn't even notice, yeah. but that was my thing. So back now, so then they give me the Ativan, which- Ativan, course, by the way, is like, a, it's an anxiety medicine, but uh, I believe they gave you the amount to usually put a large horse down. I mean, like, <laughs> an IV drip. it was an IV drip and it worked really quickly. And <laughs> Heidi went to a different universe. <laughs> I mean, we have the greatest. <laughs> I mean, I, I recorded it for posterity. One of these days, we oh. have we have to post this now. <laughs> it is. It's one of the most spectacular things I think I've ever just gotten to experience. Because one, you were unbelievably calm after having been unbelievably wired, but you were also seeing things that don't exist. Caterpillars. I was seeing caterpillars. Yeah. You looked over at my face and you said, I can't see the left side of your face. Oh, wait, there's a caterpillar crawling on your face. And then you saw a horse fly. You named the horse fly. And then you followed it with your eyes across the room until you saw another one. And it was just like, you <laughs> kept on having the wildest conversations about standing in a mall, standing in a field, standing like wherever you think you are. You're right where you're supposed to be. This is fantastic. I'm <laughs> trucking. I remember that. And then I feel like that Ativan was in my system for a week. Like I... <laughs> One of the things that they did not tell us at the, I mean, just so good news. I mean, like the doctors run this full spectrum of tests. There's now anxiety medication that's helping get what was a very significant episode down into reset mode. And what they didn't tell me, and I, I think I would have liked to know this, is uh, you're about to have conversations with this woman for the next 24 hours, and she will have no memory of you having said any of what you have said, because we got we got back into got you back in bed, and you immediately fell asleep. And about an hour later, you woke up, and we had a conversation, and you fell back asleep. About an hour later, you woke up, and we had the exact same, you asked the exact same question and that happened over and over for the next like 12 hours. It was so crazy. I think it was longer than 12 hours because I remember a couple times the next couple days. I think you were only there one more day. Yeah. But that next day in Arizona, when we had gotten home, you had said, I've had this conversation. You, you weren't mad, but you're like, I have had this conversation with you. So I've even had it twice since you woke up today. And I'm like, what? So I remember a couple times thinking, oh my gosh, it, like, did something happen to my mind? Am I always going to be this forgetful? Like it, and that would further ingrain that like something was wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Um, and was, you had to leave. Well, no, what was amazing so, in the hospital, once the Edivan started, you now felt the freedom to represent your expertise as a physician to the physician. 
And so this doctor walks in and he, I thought I had blood clot, remember? You I was were like, certain I that you had a, that you were certainly had blood clots in your brain. <laughs> and the certainty of the diagnosis was something that you asserted to him multiple times in the multiple times that he came into the room. So the first time he came in, he was just like, oh no, I am certain we did a test. Your blood has no clots. You are in perfect health. Thank you for coming. And then he came back about 15 minutes later and you had the blood clot conversation with, the, with him again. And he was like, oh no. The third time when you brought it up, he said, you know what, I'm about to do rounds. Would you like to come help me diagnose the rest of the patients <laughs> on the floor? <laughs> which I appreciated this man and his, uh, his human. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, that was interesting. And even as you say this, it's so funny. Cause now just last week, I actually, since I got home, I was ordered by my doctor to do a brain scan, to go see a gastroenterologist. Cause again, so many symptoms manifest as the result of a panic attack, right? Like things that truly like, even if they were symptoms on a daily basis in my life before panic attack, I don't think I would have even noticed them because I spend so much time busy, right? Either busy with work, busy with you, busy with my kids, all these things. Not a lot of time do I spend busy with myself, mm. which those people watching right now, if you're watching this or listening, whatever, Dave and I are in separate rooms and neither of us have our kids. And part of the reason is a realization as I've you know, these past, however many weeks, months have passed is like one of the things I don't think, I, I think most humans were so flooded with stimulus and with things and with to do's that we don't spend, we're human. What is it? Human doings instead of human beings. And yeah. we need that time alone. We need, like, I realized through this, that one of the things I'm missing is a connection with myself in a way that doesn't have me being alone and feeling like something's wrong. Cause I've never had that be an issue before, but since a panic attack, when you feel things and experience things that you've never felt or experienced before. And for the first time in my life, actually feeling like, like actually being aware of what death is, that's what it is. Yeah, It's like, I knew I had kidney stones before I all these things that really were painful, but like in my mind, I'm like, Oh, there's an issue that's fixable or there's an issue, right? Like, but to not know and to have symptoms that literally went from head to toe and inside and outside and every single bit of it had me like, Oh, this is the end. This is what your body does before you die. Um, one of the things I realized I wanted and needed was time with myself to like, get to know myself, to get to know like what these things mean. But what I was saying is I've, I've had time over the past, how many weeks, months to get like a brain scan done and, uh, meet with the gastroenter, get gastro gastroenterologist. Um, and everything's coming back totally clear. Like everything you're in good health. I'm in really good health which puts my brain at ease a little bit, but also reminds me that like, Hey, I've spent a lot of years not actually doing a lot of the checkups because I eat healthy. I work out, I do all of the things, but still it's important that we put ourselves first and we do the checkups that we need to and all of that. For sure. Now, I mean, like mortality motivation is a, is a thing. And I think when people lose a loved one or have a brush with death or whatever, it can do one of two things. It can freak you out and all of a sudden you become a recluse or 
it can motivate you to live life while you can because you don't know how many days you got. There's, I think, a little bit of, you know, like it's been interesting, if nothing else, for you in these last, whatever, six weeks, there's been maybe more of an inventory of, all right, if I recognize that some of the way that life was being lived was complicit in this panic attack having happened, how do I reorganize my life or prioritize different things or create different structure to avoid something that wasn't necessarily sustainable, which is also like a preservation of life kind of thing. I mean, who wants to live an insanely chaotic and busy life all the time? Not I, but I commend you for that because it's good to have an event like this, create something of change so that you can have the things that you care about most, the things that you actually spend time with most. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, I think what it did for me more than anything, and you, we had this conversation last night, <clears throat> is it had me realized, because I've had a handful of times since, uh, people say, what's your vision? What's your dream? What's your goal? Like with regard to career and business, because that's when you think about it, that's what most of us go throughout life doing is focusing and finding importance on who we are in the world rather than who we are in our world. Right. And like, I, I would almost chuckle and be, I don't want to say annoyed, but like almost shake my head when people would ask me that question, because I, because I'd had that little brush with death or I thought there was such a lack of importance to the question of what's your vision. Like you need to cast a vision for what you want to do in business. Right. I was like, how stupid is that? That people care so much about it because that was not even on my mind. Like, I don't mean disrespect to anybody listening. If you've been following me for a while, when I thought I was dying, I didn't think about any of you. I thought about my kids. Like I literally thought of four people. I thought of, I didn't even think, I thought of my kids. How will this impact them? Did I give them enough? Did I teach them enough? Am I who, like, and I felt every regret of not being there for them the way that I know I can, because I know how good of a mom I am when I'm present. Um, And it's really been over the past year. It's really been over the past year. And so that's where I put most of my 
focus after. And yeah. you know, like yeah. I was like, I don't, you know what? And actually my response to vision for work, I said, listen, I know most importantly, the life, like who I want to be. Like I, I realized that like identity and who I am is at the core, the core of all of it. I drew a visual to you last night over the phone. Yeah. Like that is at the core. And I don't care about my business. I don't like in 90 years or 90 years, I'm maybe going to be dead. <laughs> Make it to 130. I mean, according to the doctor, you are in such good health that you have a shot at 130, but it's unlikely. <laughs> but when I'm 90, it like, I need to decide first. And I, I believe that I know, and I talk about this now, but like, I've decided I've come up with a vision of who I want to be, like how I want my life to feel. What do I want it to feel like, taste like all the things, what people, and I told you connection with people that I love is the most important thing to me. And also important is connection with myself, right? And part of that connection and being happy and alive and like, it includes integrity. It includes what I teach, right? Because I love myself when I live in integrity. And when I love myself and I'm living in integrity, I feel I have confidence and I want further connection with you. So those are the things that I realize are at the core, right? And now from there, it's like, hey, I know I have two years left with my big kids. Two years, like a oh. year with Maddox. I have one more homecoming. I have two more homecomings with Marley. And then like they're out of the house. So that now is like the next layer, right? So at the core is that who I want to be. The next layer is definitely my kids and my lifestyle with them, right? Now, part of a good lifestyle and what I want to teach them is me chasing my dreams, but not at the expense of me being who I want to be for me and being who I want to be for them. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'd, say, I'd sent you back a note of like, they need your presence more than they need your example. And I, and I more mean the example is like example of you chasing your goals. Like they need that. They're going to get it no matter what, but they need the former more than the latter. And if you only yeah. apply them the latter, it doesn't matter because the absence of presence, yeah. you being the greatest hustler of all time will leave them screwed up, you know, like they need yeah. your presence. Yeah. And I have been a huge advocate of, and I believe it, like you can be both, you can be both. And what I'm saying right now might not sit well for somebody else because your balance looks different than mine and it's okay. It doesn't need to look the same, but for me, and I've ebbed and I flowed, right? Like it is so important. And I know you had mentioned this before that you had written it in a book. Like it is so important for our kids to see us chasing our dreams and to see, to have our kids see us living our best life. Okay. Yeah. And it might look however it looks for anybody, but yes, not at the expenses of, of us being present for them. And like, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last night or I was just thinking it, but someone's going to raise my kids. Someone is right? Like it's either going to be me or a nanny, right? And the reality is the kids are going to take on the traits and the characteristics of the people they are around the most, the people that they are deepest, con deepest connected to. Like they're not going to take on the traits and the characteristic of a parent who's not present, but chasing their dreams and reaching their goals and impacting the world. They're gonna, they are going to become like the ones that they're around the most. Like, you know, our kids, 
like we sometimes my kids will have sayings that like a nanny has or Noah and like some yeah. of the ways that she talks sounds like your nanny and we laugh about it right that's because they become who they're around and so I for me now the realization that it's so important that I have a beautiful balance between dreams and my kids and even when it's dreams for me my kids because they're such a priority like I need them to know that I would give them up in a second to make sure that they get what they need. Cause guess what? When they're gone in two years, I can conquer the world. I know my ability to do anything. I can do that when I'm not running out of precious time with them in my home. Yeah. You know? Well, you just had a brush with it this last weekend. We had homecoming weekend, both of us. And like your reaction to homecoming was emotional at like at a minimum because you're having this one. Your kids are gorgeous and they've gotten old just in the last couple of years that I've known you. But there's also that reminder when you see them all dressed up and looking like young adults that they're closer and closer to leaving the nest. And I mean, it's it's a wild thing to have these kind of milestones come and be something that's like both parts, like a celebration and also a little bit like sentimental. Yeah, it it, it is. Um you know me though. And I think even before the panic attack, since I met you, I mean, I met you at a phase where it was like, I am giving up work and God and the universe is going to provide a way because I've spent 12 years not being present for my kids. I've been present to build something for the world. My kids need me, right? Yeah. Because now Maddox and Marley having been through two divorces, and Cash and Ruby going through their first divorce. Like I am, I care more about those kids than I care about any humans on the planet. And you met me at a time where I was kind of, I was there, right? And then got busy again. But even through all of it, there's never been a family moment or a vacation, which we've only really taken one vacation to Hawaii, but, um, or a holiday where you know like it is a very like emotional thing for me and it's like when i get close when i'm able to just meld in and melt into family the world actually disappears for me and yeah. i'm like nothing else matters it's so wild because i'm actually i'm a little envious of what seems like an almost uniquely positive emotional experience for you around these big milestones and holidays and for me what is still i'm still in a both state in that, and we talked about this at homecoming, like there's something about these big events or these big holidays or the birthday parties or whatever that come up. And I, I've tended to be the host of the birthday parties. I do like to throw a, you know, big old inflatable slide in the backyard and have a thousand people come over so that I can feel overwhelmed all afternoon. But there is <laughs> something, there's something about the aftermath of divorce and me still feeling a little bit of this, like, man, th these were things that we were supposed to do a different way because of how I thought things were going to, you know, ultimately work out, but didn't. And I'm, you know, I keep on rooting for like, oh, maybe this will be the birthday party where it doesn't still feel like what the heck, but yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of there. You know, I think it, for you, maybe because those weren't things that you manned, or, or like you, you managed, 
when you were married? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because it's like now it's an extra chore or an extra task for you. Does that make sense? Like an extra thing that previously you would have shared the load or shared the weight of. Um, and now you're holding the weight on your own is what I mean to say that there's, and you didn't, technically choose your divorce, you know, like you didn't choose it. So I think you're still processing. um, That quote is what messes us up most in life is the idea in our head of how it's supposed to be. I think you have an idea in your head from the moment you got married of how these holidays and these big milestones would go. And it shared responsibility. It's shared and even not shared responsibility, but it shared celebration. Right. And you right now in me don't have someone that lives half the time in Texas. So when you're going through these things, you don't even have me to celebrate in person with, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, and about, to be honest, like I, you know, you know, Ray and I are not as close as I think I thought we would have been in the aftermath of divorce. And I think there's still a little bit of like, man, it would be cool if we could be in a more amicable place and actually celebrate. Like, I, I mean, I am envious of the relationship that you have with your exes. I love the fact that I'm as close to them as I am and we're not there yet. And maybe one day we'll get there, but you know, like we were standing next to each other at homecoming, watching Jackson knighted as the Duke of the sophomore class. Congratulations to him being coronated. And I was like, yes, this is cool. What a nice thing that we like, you know, had eight seconds next to each other before going our separate ways. It's, you know, I think I want it for my kids. I think I want it for, I think I, it's it's also just like the story of my grieving process has been grieving the way I thought things would be. And, you know, it's like shedding, oh no, like grieve what yeah. is, grieve what was. Yeah. Like, I think you're smarter too, because there's so much of it, like for, on Derek's side, none of what we go through is public, right? And I don't really take anything public with Derek. We have so many struggles, but it doesn't make it out there to the world. And so I think that it makes it, it's easier for me. It it is much easier. Like, I mean, when Derek and I, we go through stuff all the time, all the time, but like today, for example, and yesterday and this week, we're in a really great place, but it doesn't mean he and I didn't have a fight two weeks ago, but we fight like brothers and sisters. And same with me and Chris, we all fight. I think it's like when you're dating, And at least for me, when I was dating a guy and the guy would wrong me and I would tell my mom and dad and my family, it was over. It was over because I just poured fuel on the fire that is that relationship. And I think because you both are more public people, it makes it harder. Chris and I fight, but no one hears about it. Like no one knows that Chris and I fight and we make up and go on. And I think there's, that's been a little more difficult for you. Yeah. Well, I think too, I probably, if I've, if I've maybe made a mistake in the aftermath of divorce, when it comes to my children, you know, there's like a a term like Disneyland dad, apparently, because I've uh, heard it in the aftermath of, you know, getting them go-karts to distract them from the pain of divorce or making sure that the birthday party has a huge slide. Like, I think that there are times when I bite off a little more than I ought to chew because I'm trying in some ways to soften a little bit of what I perceive to be them still grappling even two years later with the inconvenience or the frustration of divorce. And, you know, part of, part of what probably is frustrating is I'm trying so stinking hard to 
have them have a good time that I'm doing more than I can actually handle in, you know, allowing everyone, you know, allowing each kid to invite 30 people over to a birthday party when you have four kids is idiocy. And I will check the box for being an idiot on uh, Yeah, let's, let's get like one thing you need to think about. You are creating memories for those kids that I believe will translate to them placing importance in really enjoying times with their kids like like when you say you know you're envious of the way that like for me every milestone is significant and every holiday is significant and like what my kids i can't control what they get out of it but like i can control what i put into it with them right i i really believe though that it's significant to me and emotional because it was that way with my mom i was not to say like it's only because of how my mom was, but my mom was such a good mom. My mom and my dad, yeah. the most important thing to my mom and dad was family. Like hands down, like nothing else mattered. And they reminded us of us this all of, uh, of this all the time. And they would even like, when we'd fight as siblings, they do, they would do what I do. I'm like, oh, you're fighting? Well, you're grounded from your friends because clearly you need to work on your relationship with your brother and sister. You guys go play together. Like that's very much how they were. And I'm so grateful because I have a killer relationship with my family. I have a killer relationship with my mom. And those things, my mom loved dancing. Whether she loved it or not, she made us think that she loved it. My mom was there. Like holidays were a big deal. And I am, as I get to provide those moments for my kids, I am brought back to how it felt to have a parent or parents that made it significant and important. And I'm trying to recreate that for my kids. And yeah. I'm nostalgic, it's a nostalgic experience. Yeah. And I'm sad that I can't have them forever, you know? You just made me think of something because I have two children who in the last week both lost their phones. Yeah. I want to talk yeah. about like prison yard outbreaks of uh, upset humans. Uh, take two phones away and just see what happens when they are as attached to these stinking devices yeah. as they are. But it is actually, it's wild how different behavior can be in like 3.5 seconds when the phone is not an option. It's crazy to me. It makes me want to take the phone away even more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Like, and I think every child's a little bit different, but like, I, for some of my kids, one of them in particular, because <laughs> they all have different reactions. Cash loves his technology, but like, there's a little bit of a detox period of time. And when I can get past him not being on it for days at a time, he's a different child. Board's the same like, way. Board yeah. is now the influence that he has. It's almost like a little bit. Now he's not watching anything because I've got an ability to see the content that he's looking at. It's not risque necessarily but it's crude and molten like kind of semi disrespectful at times the way that people are treating each other and i think that just it's exposure like if you're exposed to someone who's disrespectful guess what you're likely to be a little less respectful to the adults in your life and the absence of screens change a little bit of the persona that they tip into when either they're threatened and they don't feel like they're getting what they need or they're feeling themselves and they want to kind of puff their chest out a little bit. Well, I think the absence of screens allows more interaction and presence and consistency from parents. Also I know true. that's for me because like a screen, a screen is a babysitter. 
for a lot of the time. I'm not saying that's right, but like it, a screen keeps a child occupied, right? So when I always tell my kids, like, you don't understand when I ground you or I pull something away or you lose a privilege, like you might think I'm being mean or what, like your world, you need to understand my world just got harder too, because oh, what yeah. means, I now have to make sure that you are following those rules because it's like the inconsistencies in parenting are where like kids will find any little gap or any loophole. And the second they see it, they're like, oh, there's mom's weakness. When she's on her phone, I can ask her a question. I can ask it in this way. And then I can get away with what I know I'm not supposed to do again, you know? So it does make it harder because I have to then, when I commit to grounding or losing a privilege, I am also committing to being a more present parent because I got to yeah. follow up on that. I got to yeah. follow through. No, there was there were more games of catch. There was a board game on a kitchen table. There were more yeah. conversations, which, by the way, they're all great. But also in a world where I'm busy and I get home from school at 3.30 in the afternoon, there, it's, it's a little easier, of course, when they have a screen that they're able to spend time with until 5 p.m. Uh, I'm not complaining about it because guess what? We had a great week, but also... It does end up, you know, holding them accountable and responsible does end up also putting something of a tax on you. You still get something good out of it, but it's not easier necessarily. You're like, you're ruthless though. When you say, when you say this is what's happening in a punishment, you have to be careful what comes out of your mouth because you will never go back oh. on it. Oh, I, I, but I, the thing is, I can't, why? Like you're going to be like, good Lord, Heidi, we're going to this. We are. I'll tell you why I can't because integrity is so important to me. Like I personally, I have to know that my word is valuable. And when I say something, I have to know that I can follow through or else I will not love myself. Like this is what we, this is at the basis of transformation that Chris and I have taught for 15 years or however long it's been, 12, 13 years. And, but that goes with my kids too. Like, and I know if I say something to my kids, and I don't follow through, I'm not going to respect my authority and they're not going to respect my authority. Right. And so it's like, I, which makes means like some, if like, I don't want to deal with a pun, I almost have to act like I don't see it. Cause if they know that I saw it and they know that they got away with it, right. Then I lack authority in what I do. Yeah. And I have to be careful about like, did you ever hear the story when I broke Maddox's iPhone. Is this safe for the internet? Oh my, I mean, I posted it. Oh, okay. But I mean, that, that was before I had some of the haters that I have. But I did <laughs> post it. <laughs> so here's fresh content for you guys. You ready for this? This Chris and I were married at the time. And here's the thing. Chris is more ruthless than I am. And I appreciate it that you see Cash and Ruby, very respectful kids who are and and not not respectful in a their confined way, but they know who they are. They are confident in who they are. We like we're very Chris and I are very much aligned in how we parent, which is part of why co-parenting is so easy. Co-parenting is so easy, but we you don't know this story. I don't know that I know this story. Oh, I'm gonna have to go back through. My, I'm gonna have to ask Chris. He'll remember the basis of it. But there was something I caught. Maddox lying. I mean. integrity (laughs) this was uh how old maddox 17 so he might have been 12 at the time and i had essentially said if i catch 
you doing? Like we had caught him in a few things. I, I don't remember what it is, but I said, if I catch this happening again, I'm letting you know right now, I'm going to smash your phone that calmly, literally that calmly. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. And I feel like it was like, he wasn't allowed to have a Snapchat and he had a Snapchat or something, but that had been happening. I don't remember. Feels right. And so we, I caught him lying again in whatever it was. And this is a week or so later as soon. And I had just asked him the question. He had just convincingly told me a story. I believe him. I go back. The truth is presented. I literally walk into the bathroom. He's showering. I rip the curtain open. I'm like, where's your phone? And it was right there on the counter. I took it. I said, what did I say I was going to do if I caught you lying again? This calm. And he's like, you're going to smash it. I'm like, buddy, I got to do it. Bam! I like smash the phone. And I'm like, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Apple, I have Apple care. So it cost me $79 to teach him a lesson. Uh, but I had to, I like, I had told him I was going to smash his phone and he didn't believe me. And then he actually lost his phone. He lost it for a while. The, the, yeah. I mean, number one, fantastic parenting. That's a, a great story. <laughs> um, number two, you and I are very different in parenting. We're going to do a full podcast on that sometime. The only times that I feel like I've had to negotiate with myself is when we are driving to a destination that every person in the family is looking forward to and one person is trying to ruin the experience and I have suggested wow. them turn this baby around if that person continues their bad behavior and then they're you know then they act up again and I'm like god what am I supposed to do now I mean I know what I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to drop turn around and ruin the entire vacation for nope. everyone nope nope you're not I'm I actually to throw them on the ground and smash them <laughs> no you, you have, that's why you have to be careful with what you threaten. So no, like, I if understand. you know, <laughs> Oh yeah, no, no, I understand. Um, all right. You have a meeting. I have to go to the bathroom. I have, yeah. I have eight minutes left meeting. I got to get on. Hey, not bad for a podcast where we didn't even talk about what we're going to talk about for the most part. And so we turn the microphones on. All right. Good work. I, I, You're gorgeous. Uh, I'll let you go through and figure out what stays in and what doesn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's all going to stay in except for that very last part where I was being a dick. <laughs> I think you should keep it in. I think you should keep all of it in. You weren't being a dick, but because the truth, like, let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. The truth is, how annoying is it sometimes? We all have pet peeves about the people that we're with. Every time you tell me an issue, I have a solution. Like, oh no one wants to have a solution every time. That's annoying. You know what? I mean, here's the thing there are some days where I just want to be able to share an emotion that I'm experiencing and let it just be received and seen. And um, 100 times out of 100, you are there with gravity immediately. And I sometimes I can't even finish explaining the feeling before you've given me the remedy, which is also like it's fast acting. <laughs> It, it helps me think about how to solve it before I've even fully processed the, the emotion. And I appreciate you for that. <laughs> you know what? At least we can laugh at it. We can laugh at it. We can laugh Thanks at for dealing with What's that? Thanks for dealing with me. Oh, man. Dealing with you is a pleasure. I love you. I love you too. All right. We'll see you next week on the, uh, the old Rise Together podcast. Bye, friends. Bye.